Happy you're here. I, uh, I want to spend some time this morning talking about this idea of the greatest of all time. Um, the honest thing is, is if you were to evaluate yourself, every area of your life, you expect greatness. It doesn't mean that we obtain it, but we expect greatness. I know I want the greatest school for my children. I want the greatest medical care when I have to have that. I want the greatest car with the greatest gas mileage, like everything in our life is about greatness. We want greatness in our life, but really the question that we have to ask is what is greatness? You know, it has a very wide term, so, so what is greatness? And then when we understand what greatness is, we have to ask the question, how do I become great? And then ultimately the question that is going to be posed today is who is the greatest of all time? Let me pray, God, thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to worship you through music. And now, God, as we worship you through your word, we ask that you make it real to us. God, as we ask questions of ourselves about greatness, God, as we ask questions about life and its great things it offers, but most importantly, as we examine the greatest of all time, Lord, help us to be open to the things that you want to do. You're so incredible. And we thank you for all that you do. God, let your heart, let hearts and ears be open this morning as you move about this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, the other day, Amber and I were walking through the mall. And if you've been to the one in Panama, they have, uh, they have barber shops in there, right? And, and, you know, we always see this depiction of, of barber shops and communications uh, and arguments that happen in barber shops, right? And we see that they're always debating sports is, is how it's depicted to us on television. And so it was so funny. Amber and I were walking through the mall, and there's two guys in there passionately arguing. And all I hear as I walk by is, you mean to tell me Tom Brady isn't the greatest quarterback of all time? Right? Because all of us have arguments about what is greatness. Right? And so the argument they were having is, who is the greatest quarterback of all time? And then I heard the other dude go, well, he does, he's not as good as Joe Montana. Joe Montana never lost in the Super Bowl. And I'm going, here they are debating the greatest of all time. You know, we have this thing that we say when it comes to greatness, especially in athletics. We call them the GOAT, which is the greatest of all time. And like, if I just threw out to you, who's the greatest sports team? Instantly, everybody would say the Florida Gators, right? We would have that consensus because as a church, we take a stance that we believe Florida is great and everyone else isn't. And, and, but if I said, who's the greatest when it comes to basketball? Well, the video that we watched depicted Michael Jordan. But somebody who's younger, they may say, no, it was Kobe Bryant. Or those who watch basketball now go, no, it's LeBron James. Or someone older may go, no, it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And we could have these debates. But there's no definite on who the greatest really is when we talk about athletics. There, there's no... There's no consensus when we talk about the greatest when it comes to the advancement of our country. If I said, who's the greatest president of all time, we would have so many different opinions in here. And if I said, who was the greatest teacher you had in school, we would have different debates about that. So we have no definite of what greatness really is when we talk about our lives. But what we're going to spend time today discussing is, who's the greatest of all time? Definitively, who's the greatest of all times? If you want to turn with me, we'll be in Luke chapter 9, um, verse number 46. I, uh, I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, if you have that. If you don't have it, it'll sound very similar, but I think we'll also have it on the screen for you as well. 
Luke 9, verse number 46. To tell you what has taken place leading up to this verse is Jesus has encountered a young boy. And that young boy had an evil spirit, an unclean spirit, and we may say he was demon-possessed. And so Jesus encounters him, and he frees the boy from this unclean spirit. And so what happens is discussion begins to take place. And the Bible literally says the people were astonished at the greatness of God. How many of you know when we're challenged with greatness, we begin to examine ourselves? And so that buzz was going around about Jesus going, man, how great is it that an unclean spirit has to even listen to the things he says? As all that's taken place, what we're about to read is the thoughts of the disciples that Jesus begins to discern. Luke 9, verse number 46, it says, An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Don't you love that? People were just saying, Jesus is the greatest. He just made an unclean spirit come out. And they're all like, that's fine and dandy. Amongst us, though, who is the greatest? Well, Jesus, knowing the, the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. So we find the definition of greatness is humility. When we're able to realize that I'm not as great as I think I am, helps me realize that I'm actually as great as God wants me to be. Um, so let's ask this question, what is greatness? You know, I was looking into what greatness is, and I'm sure if we went to the dictionary, it would give a great example of it. Uh, and I'm sure if you asked people and you went to business books, it would tell you what greatness is. But uh, something that I found really amazing was these 10 characteristics of what a great leader is. And they based it off of the life of, of Nelson Mandela. And they said these were the attributes he had, and this is the attributes that we think greatness is. And I really think it applies to our lives when we strive for greatness. The very first thing they said is pers uh, excuse me, purposefulness. They said if you want to be a great leader, you have to be purposeful in the things that you're doing. The next thing they said is you have to be self-confident. You have to believe in yourself. You have to be bold. You have to do things that goes against what other people do if you want to be great. You have to be optimistic. You have to believe the outcome is going to be favorable for you even when you're unsure that's going to happen. You have to have forgiveness. And I love this, this quote right here. It says, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. Right? You have to have forgiveness if you want to be great. You have to have courage. You have to have determination. You have to have humility. You have to have self-reflection to realize that I don't always do the right things. And the very last one, and the most important thing when it comes to greatness, is love. You have to have love. Nelson Mandela one time said, No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin, or his background, or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. And so greatness uh, identified in a person's life are all those things, but the greatest is love. As a matter of fact, when Paul was examining and the church of Corinth was arguing, they're going, what does it mean to be great? We have all these gifts. Which is the greatest of gifts? Paul looks at them and says, the greatest gift you can have is love. 
Because love conquer, conquers all things. As a matter of fact, he tells them, love never ends. Everything else in life ends, but love never ends. Do you want to know what greatness is? Greatness, greatness is loving people when they're unlovable. Greatness is caring for people when you feel like you have no compassion left. Greatness is, greatness is looking at a person in need and going, whatever I can do to help, I want to help. Greatness is unfiltered, unabandoned love for a person. That's what greatness is. Do you want to know what greatness looks like in a person's life? It's exemplified in a man named Jesus, right? Because Jesus exemplified to us what a great human life can look like in a connection with the Father. I ask myself often, what, is it, what does it take to be great? When we talk about the secular world, if you want to be great at your job, you find somebody who's great at their job and you embrace the characteristics they have. So if I wanted to be a great swimmer, the, most, the, most, uh, the greatest advice I could get would be from Michael Phelps. I could go to him and go, how do, you, how do I swim? How do I become the greatest swimmer of all time? If I want to be the greatest athlete of all time, I go to a great athlete. If I want to be a great fill-in-the-blank, I go to a person that's great in that field. If we hope to ever obtain greatness, it means that we embrace the greatness around us. I love this verse. It's in Deuteronomy 10:17. As we begin to define what greatness looks like in life, Moses writes, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Greatness is defined by God. Job goes on to say in 37.5, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. And then my favorite is Psalms 145. What I love about this few verses we're going to read is, is David is the author of this. And this is the last praise, prayer, anything that we find attributed to David throughout Scripture. We believe this is at the end of David's life. And if you're familiar with David, David was a man who was known for his passion for God. We also know him for his failures. That's what I love about David is, even though we see how wonderful he is, we also know that he screws up, and I can identify with that because I know what failure feels like. And so we look at David and we think he was a great king, he was a great leader, and so now we fast forward to the end of his life, and one of the very last things he pens is Psalms 145, and this is what he says, I will extol my God and my king, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of, your, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. What an amazing thing. When we try to identify what it means to be great, it means embracing a great God. I want to be great at life. I embrace God, who is great at life, the giver of life, the greatest of all time. Greatness is everything that we've mentioned, but greatness is the epitome of who God is. Greatness is God. Greatness is that God would look at a broken and fragile human race and say they need someone to help them. 
I'm going to do that. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me interpret it to you in my own way. He who knew greatness took on failure so that we could become great. What an amazing thing. Greatness identified in a person would be in the life of Christ who had everything you could ever desire. Every one of us want more, more, more. He had it all. And he looked down at our broken lives and he said, somebody's got to intervene. They can't go on any longer unless someone helps them. And so looking at your life, he said, if I don't intervene in Eric's life, he will be eternally separated from me and I can't live with that. And so as big of a failure as I was, as big of a screw-up as I was going to be, God looked down on my life and He said, for Him to be great, i got to take His failure. But if I take His failure, He'll be great. So the greatest of all time looked down upon your life and said, I want them with me, and if it means that I have to be considered a failure for them to be great, then I'll do it because I love them so much. Because greatness is love. Greatness is when a man looks at us and says, I have to do something. And God says, greater love has no one than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. And he looked at us and he said, I can show no greater greatness more than this act of love. And so his act of love was to come and take our place. And when he substituted himself in, he took upon him my failure. And he took upon him your failure. Which means if you're sitting here this morning and go, no, you don't understand. My failure is more. No, no, no. He looked at you and said, if I got to shoulder it on me, then lay it on me because I want them to be with me. He loves you so much that he said, if I'm going to be the greatest, they're going to be the greatest too. And I'm going to pull them up to me. So it doesn't matter what your struggle is. You may go, I can't go to bed at night without watching something inappropriate. So I'll never be up to God's standards. That's okay. He comes down to you. You may go, you know, you don't, you don't understand the struggle I have with addiction dominates my life. It doesn't matter. God wants you in his family. It's the beautiful thing of what we call the adoption of God. When we're born into a family, we don't get to pick anybody, right? And you may look at your family and go, and I wish I really could have. We don't get to pick anybody. But the beautiful thing about adoption is we don't pick anybody. They pick us. And God looked at us and said, you're not just going to be born in my family. I'm adopting you into my family. And all the baggage that you carry comes with you. But God looked at you in so much love through the greatness that he is and said, I want them in my family. That's what the greatest of all time is. See, every religion that's ever existed and still exists today, all at least in some way recognizes Jesus as this good man. Some of them even go as far to say he was a great man. What I hate about religion is religion's whole purpose is to make a bad person good. What I love about what Jesus did was to make a dead person alive. I didn't deserve what I got. He gave it to me. I deserve death. And he said, no, no, I'll take it. And in his substitution, he took on my failures. 
And so when we read the beautiful story of what unfolded on Easter morning, when we read about what Jesus went through, what's so incredible is we're reading what we should have went through ourselves. It should have been me drugged in front of a bunch of people in the middle of the night to be persecuted for things that I was guilty of. It should have been me when they said, no, no, he deserves to be beaten. It should have been me taking that beating. It should have been me who they said, no, no, his only, the only recourse for the failure that he is is to get him out of here. Let's kill him. It should have been me. It should have been me carrying the cross on that day. It should have been me who was hanging on the cross as people laughed and mocked at But because of the greatness of God, he looked at me and said, no, you can't do that. Because if you do that, you can't be with me. And in his greatness, he substituted himself in. That's what the greatest of all time is. Is that someone would have so much love for us that they would come in and they would look beyond every struggle that I've ever had and say, I want him and my family. This morning, you can be great because the greatest has welcomed you home. And a few years ago, I read this amazing story. There was a mother who was in her kitchen, and they had a swimming hole just outside, a little pond. And the mother would watch her son out there swim as she would wash dishes. And so the mother's sitting there, she's washing dishes, and as she's watching her young child out there swimming, she realizes that something is moving in the water. Now, we're from Florida. We understand what movement in the water is. It means get out, right? And so she starts yelling and banging on the window for her son, but she can't get him. He's so caught up in playing in the water. And so she just takes off out a dead sprint out the back of her house. And as she gets to the boy, he gets snatched under by the alligator, and she grabs his arm. And what unfolds is the most amazing tug-of-war of love and hunger that you'll ever see. An alligator who wanted to destroy a little boy and a, and a mother who had so much love that she wasn't going to let him be destroyed. And so between this tug of war, the mother was able to rescue her child and pull him out. And when the medics were there, they were treating the young boy, and a reporter came up. And he said, oh, let me see your legs and, and see what happened. And as he was looking at the scars that had taken place from the alligator's wrestling attempt, he said, no, but I want to show you this. And he pulled open his arms and he said, look, this is the signs of how much my mother really loves me. He didn't care about the signs of his failure of getting out of the water in time. He cared about the scars of love that his mother had left on him. You know, the same thing is true in our lives. Today you're probably sitting here going, I can never be great because I have so much baggage. Like, look at the failure. And you pull your pants leg up. No, no, you don't see what an alligator pulled me? This is my failure. But what I want you to do is change your perspective this morning. And I want you to look at the outstretched hands of a Savior who says, I don't care about your failures. Look at these scars of love. This is what greatness is, and you can be great too. This morning, the greatest decision you will ever make in your life is to abandon everything you've ever done and say, no, I want to be in complete submission to God. Can I tell you, when we lead our own life, it continues to result in failure. But when God leads us, he does incredible things through us. If I was to begin to flip through this book, we would read so many incredible stories. We would start at the very beginning and we would be introduced to a man named Noah who built an ark that took him 100 years to build. And somehow that ark was able to stay afloat for, um, for, for like a year. And they get off the ark and, and I imagine just looking at it as you go, 
a man with just a few boys and no power tools did this. No, it was the greatness of God in him. And from Noah, we would fast forward a little bit, and we would read about a man named Abraham who was an incredible man. We call him the father of nations because from him is where we have Israel. And Abraham does some incredible things. I mean, first of all, God gave him a child when he was 100 years old. Talk to me about that, right? And, and God did something incredible through him. And it was greatness of God through him. Of course, Abraham would give birth to a, to a young boy. And that young boy would do incredible things too. I mean, yeah, he had a little bit of a past. He, he, he did some things, but, but God did some incredible things through him. Isaac. And then Isaac would, would give birth to a boy named Jacob who, yeah, he had a lot of baggage in his life too. I mean, his name was Deceiver of all things. and He did some incredible things, but God did great things through him. God saved and formed a nation from him. And then Jacob would, of course, give birth to a boy named Joseph who we know was the sole responsible person who ensured that Israel didn't get wiped off the face of the earth. He was the advocate for them in Egypt. It was Joseph who fought for them, and God did great things through him, even though he wasn't even affiliated with his own family at the time. And then we fast forward as God begins to deliver through a, a murderer named Moses who had a stuttering problem but was a public speaker. Right? I mean, that doesn't even fit the mold of what he is. What I'm telling you is it doesn't matter what your baggage is. In just the first few chapters and the first few books of the Bible, we read about how God used a murderer, a man who was willing to lie about his wife, people who had affairs, people who went through other struggles, a boy who didn't even know what it meant to love. And, and God took all these people and did great things. And so you mean to tell me this great God that Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy, that Job wrote about who knew nothing but struggle but still wrote about how great God is. This great God who David at the end of his life said, I've examined everything I've ever went through and I will extol the greatness of God. You mean to tell me that great God can't overcome the baggage and failures in your life? You're mistaken. It's a lie that you've chosen to believe because the greatest of all time wants to make you great. And he wants to make you great through submission and love. And the simplicity of what it means to be great again is complete surrender. It means that you're willing to go, I can't control it anymore, but I tell you what, I'm going to lay it down at the feet of the one who is the greatest of all time. And God orchestrates your life. He does incredible things through it. And in the end, we find that the greatness is culminated into a great eternity with our great God. This morning, I want to ask you to do one thing for me real quick, because I want you to stand. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want to have a moment of prayer, and then I want to have a moment of honest conversation. God, thank you this morning for your greatness. God, that you teach us and love us and, and give us all the things that you, that you do that we don't deserve. God, it's so incredible. This morning, we have seen the definition of what greatness is. We see how to be great in our life by embracing you. And God, we see the greatness of who you are when you hung on a cross in what the world would call a failed moment would in that time be the greatest act of love ever displayed. And this morning, God, you've brought each of us here for a purpose. This morning, God, you've brought us here to hear about you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to talk to you for just a moment.
You may have come here this morning because somebody invited you. Man, we're so glad you're here. But they invited you and we prayed for you before you even came. And I want you to know that you're here because God wants you here. God wants to re-examine your life. God wants to repurpose you. God wants to set you on a new path. Today you may have come here with the biggest baggage in the world going, I don't deserve anything I have. That's okay because the great God wants to make you great again. This morning I want to ask you to do the greatest thing you'll ever do. That's to take a step from where you are and to come forward and lay your life down at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to be great, but I can only be great through you. This morning, the praise team, they're going to be playing a song. I'm going to ask you to pray where you are. And if you're here this morning and you need to know Jesus because you want to be great, you need to know Jesus because you need that greatness in your life. You, you need to know Jesus because you're tired of failing then I want to invite you up forward and I want to pray with you and I want to talk to you about our great God and I want to lead you in conversation to our great God. This morning, if you're here, I want to invite you forward. If you stay where you are, I want you to pray for those who need to come forward as the praise team plays.